Welcome to another exciting podcast from Living Faith Church. It's our hope and prayer that today's message will bring you closer and deeper to the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Dean Hackett. As he said, as you're running your race of life, there are going to be things that will try and attach themselves to you to slow you down, to hinder you, if they could, to even keep you from running. He said there are going to be things that will come that will try and entangle your feet and ankles to completely throw you off the track. He said, but if you'll keep your eye on Jesus... When those things come, you'll be able to throw them off. They won't distract you. They won't hinder your running. They won't stop your race. They won't entangle your ankles and legs so you can't run and throw you off the track. Because when you keep your eye on Jesus, you'll be victorious. See, the the trick is, or the secret, or the key, or the thing that you have to do is you have to run keeping your eye on Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried running not looking at where you're going. I ran for years. In junior high and high school, I ran middle distance. And then in my 20s, I started running 10Ks. So I wore out a lot of tennis shoes. I put a lot of miles on the pavement. And it's not easy running when you're not looking where you're going. You're very likely to stumble over something. Come on. Amen. Amen. Except if you're running the race of life. Then you got to keep your eye on Jesus. Here's why. Because there are so many things that will try and distract you. So many things that will try and just get you to quit. And some of them are really important. I mean, we're, we're dealing with things right now that are really important that can be so distraction. You know, the, the do I, do I not vaccinate, uh, you know, a socialist government moving into Marxist agendas and just all of this stuff. They, they can be, they're important, but they can completely distract you. The, the, the little key, the little secret, the thing that we have to remember as disciples of Jesus Christ is we don't ignore the important things, but we look at them through the lens of Jesus. And when we look at them through the lens of Jesus, they don't distract us. They actually encourage our walk. Come on. But so many are getting distracted. So many are stopping altogether. Well, what's the use? Oh, just. And, And some are just getting angry. 
angry at what's going on in our education systems. It's becoming more of an indoctrination system instead of an education system. And they're, and they're getting angry. And, and folks, the anger of man never works the righteousness of God. See, we we got we to gotta keep Jesus right there so that we're looking at all of this stuff through the lens of Jesus. Because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. That's why the writer of Hebrews meant in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, when he said, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report or a good testimony, some translations say. See, when we, when, when we know who Jesus is, who he really is, and, and when, we, when we really trust his promises and his word to us, when we, when we, when we know Jesus, that he really is the Almighty, that he really is the ever-present, that he really is the all-knowing God, and that Jesus is immutable. He's not changed. He's the same Jesus that walks across the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's the very same Jesus. Amen. That's why in verse 6 it says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. For they that come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, we have to believe that Jesus really is the author and the finisher of our faith. Faith is believing that God will do exactly what he said he will do. Faith is believing that God will answer my prayers. Faith is believing God never does abandon me. He never does leave me to my own devices. God never leaves me at the mercy of my enemy. That when God, when God allows stuff to come into my life, it's never to destroy me, it's to make me better. The enemy wants to make you bitter, God wants to make you better. But see, there's, a, there's another side, there's another side to faith. There's the action side of faith, but there's another side to faith. And that is the sum total of what we believe. It, it, is, the, it is the truth, the absolute truth that we really believe, that we put our total trust in. That truth, that body of truth that we believe, what Jude who was the brother of James and the brother of Jesus. What Jude wrote about in verse 3 when he said, I, 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 I felt it necessary to write to you and to exhort you to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Amen. And actually in the Greek, in the Greek grammar, what it is saying is which was once delivered for all delivered 
to the saints. In other words, there is a body of absolute truth that has been placed in the hands of the church, in the hands of the saints. It is the absolute truth of God. It is the infallible truth of God. It is the ever true word of God. And it's been placed in our hands once and for all. Wow. And Jesus is the author. Jesus is the author. Some would go, oh, no, 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 you know. Men wrote the Bible. Come on, men wrote the Bible. Well, yes, they pinned the Bible. I said, yes, they pinned the Bible. But they didn't write the Bible. All they did was put down in writing what God was saying to them. That's why the Apostle Peter in his second epistle in chapter 1, he said, Now scripture is of no private interpretation. For holy men of old wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, Holy Spirit was nudging them, write this, write this, write this. Write this. The Bible was only penned by men. Almighty God wrote the Bible. That's why Paul wrote to his spiritual son Timothy and said, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That means what is right teaching. For reproof, that means to tell us when we're wrong. I don't like that part of the Bible. But you need to hear that part of the Bible. Come on, every one of us. Okay, how many here in the room can say, uh, I've never done wrong and the Bible's never had to correct me? May I see your hand, please? Oh, we all we all need to be, don't we? We all need that correction in our life. Come on. Reproof and correction. Correction is, it not only tells us what we did wrong, but it tells us how to do right. Amen. See, it's, it's not a loving father that all he does is tell the kids what they do wrong. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, that's wrong. Well, if you're going to tell me it's wrong, would you please take the time to show me how to do it right? Show me, teach me, instruct you. Come on, amen? amen? And that's what Heavenly Father did. His word, yes, it reproves us, but it also shows us what to do is right. The word of God, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I want you to know what righteousness is. I want you to know what righteousness looks like. I want you to know how you can live righteous. I want you to understand what living right is like and what it's all about. Because when my people live right, then the world is a safe place. But sin is a reproach to all people. 
Wow. God's word. And then he goes on to say that the man and woman of God may be completely furnished to do good works. The word of God. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our word, of the word of the Holy Bible. He's the author. He wrote it. In fact, that's his very name. And the the apostle John, at at the end of his life, was on the island of Patmos because the Romans couldn't kill him. I mean, they tried everything to kill him, and they couldn't kill him. They even boiled him in oil, and he still wouldn't die. And so they put him on this rocky crag of an island where nobody else lived, thinking, well, if we can't kill him, let's just get rid of him. We'll put him out there and leave him alone out there. But Jesus didn't leave him alone. Jesus came and gave him a revelation. And and while he was there, he wrote the book of Revelation. And and in the early part of the book, chapters 4 and 5, he he saw Jesus in heaven, and Jesus was the Lamb of God at the throne. And that's what he saw, the Lamb of God at the throne. But at the very end of the book, chapter 19, he sees Jesus again in heaven, But this time, he's not the Lamb of God at the throne. This time, he is the coming King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Woo! Hallelujah. Let's read it together. Everyone, would you join me? And I'm sorry, I forgot my pointer today. Can you read without the bouncing ball? Let's try. Here we go. Now, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Woo, come on. Give God praise. Now, this same, this same apostle, John, early in his life, he wrote the gospel of John. And he began, opened the gospel of John with these words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came to bear witness, to bear witness of that light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. 
He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Skip down a verse, verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Come on, give him praise. Hallelujah. Jesus, the author of our faith. The author of our faith. He wrote it. Men just penned it for him and published it. He wrote it. He's not only the author of our faith, he's the finisher of our faith. He's the finisher of our faith. He's the one that brings it to full completion. <laughs> See, God, God gave us our faith through a blood covenant. And that blood covenant has two parts to it. The first part, God established a covenant with some chosen men that we call the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Esau, and Jacob, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And God made this blood covenant with them that assured them they were going to have a land. He would give them the principles and precepts to live in that land. And the descendants, their descendants would be his chosen people forever. The children of Israel, God's chosen people. Amen. And God made that covenant with them. And gave them his word through his prophets. And in his word that he gave to them through his prophets, he promised that he would give the redeemer, the one that would redeem mankind from all sin. And so through the children of Israel, God gave us his word, his written covenant the Old Testament, and he gave us his promise that he was going to redeem us, and he gave us the assurance of the Redeemer. But also, also in that first part of the covenant, we get our first glimpse of Jesus. He comes and he, he talks to the patriarchs, and he does miracles and signs and wonders for the children of Israel as, listen, the angel of the Lord. Amen. He makes pre-incarnate appearances in that old covenant as the angel of the Lord. Now, that's the first part of the blood covenant. And Jesus is there. He's there in promises, and he's there in occasional revelations as the angel of the Lord. But the second part of this blood covenant we call it the New Testament. The second part of this split is actually revealed in two miraculous actions. The first part of that miraculous action is God becomes 
a man and comes as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Conceived of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary and lives for 33 and a half years and then takes upon himself all the sins of all human beings of all time and he is crucified on the cross of Calvary and he is buried in a borrowed tomb. Joseph, I'm only going to need it for three days. He's buried in a borrowed tomb. Why? So that our life of sin can be crucified with him and buried to live no more. And on the third day on Sunday morning, he walked out of that grave and we walked out of that grave with him, hallelujah, to live in newness of life. Amen? Woo! Hallelujah. That's the first part of the second covenant. It's not a... It's the same covenant, just the second part. It's the first part of the second part. The second part of the second part has three parts. And you go, no wonder I have trouble understanding this sometimes. But see, the second miraculous thing that Jesus does is Jesus says, and I'm coming back again. I'm coming back first in the rapture. I'm going to appear in the sky and the bodies of all those who are with me in heaven are going to rise out of the grave. And when they make that six foot climb out of the grave, then all of the living saints, they're going to leave the earth and meet them in the sky. And we're all going to meet in the sky and then I'm going to take them back to heaven for seven years of a marriage celebration. Hallelujah. And then, at the end of the seven years, I'm going to mount a white stallion, and all of those who are with me celebrating the marriage supper, they're all going to mount stallions, and we're going to come back, and we're going to come back and establish my kingdom on planet Earth, and I'm going to rule as King of kings and Lord of lords for 1,000 years. Amen. And at the end of that 1,000 years... I'm going to deal with the devil and all the demons. And I am going to throw the devil and all his demons into the lake of fire where there will be forever and ever. And then I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And on that new heaven and that new earth, I'm going to bring my eternal kingdom and you're going to rule and reign with me forever and ever and ever and ever. And whenever and ever has taken place, we're going to go a little while longer forever and ever. And when that forever and ever takes place, we're going to go a little bit longer forever and ever. Hallelujah. Jesus, he is the author of our faith, and he brings it to full completion. The Word of God, the Holy Bible, God's infallible, inerrant Word. No wonder the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.12 said, It is living, it is powerful, and it is sharper than a two-edged sword. Amen. 
And that is also why the writer of Psalms 119, verse 89 said, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in the heavens. And God said to you and I three times in the scripture, you don't edit my word. You don't add to it. You don't take away from it. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Oh, I got to preaching, carrying on, and I made my, my pad lose its place. Oh, forgive me. Hmm. <laughs> May I have just a moment, please, and get back to my, to my, because I want to read this to you. I don't have this one memorized. <laughs> Come on, please. There we go. We're getting there. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter four. Listen to how he said it. This is amazing. Now, this is Moses. This is Moses talking, and Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he's talking about those five books. Listen to what he says. Hear now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe. That's Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God, your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Those first five books are the holy written word of God, and you don't add to it. You don't take it. You don't edit God's word for him. Amen? Amen? Proverbs chapter 30. He talks about the rest of the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. And this is what he says. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his word lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Oh, so now not just the first five books. Now we got the whole Old Testament. It's the pure word of God. You don't add to it. You don't take away from it. You don't mess with God's word. Come on, amen? amen. Now you go, okay, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? I'm glad you asked. Because in the book of Revelation chapter 22, talking about the New Testament now, the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, that wrote 1, 2, 3 John, that wrote the book of Revelation. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book and this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, from the things which are written in this book. God gave us the Holy Bible, and it is his infallible word, and it is the truth by which we can live our life victorious every single day. But here's the curious thing. 
Just as the writer of Hebrews said, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. The apostle Paul said, now listen, <clears throat> when you put on the whole armor of God, you put on the belt of truth, you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you put on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, you take up the shield of faith above all things, and you take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Your mighty weapon. How do you do that? Well, I'm closing with these three thoughts. How you take up that, that sword of the spirit. How you use the word of God. The first thing you got to do is you got to put the word of God in here. Got to put it in your brain. See, there, there are way too many of God's kids that are trying to fight spiritual warfare with a Q-tip. They don't have the Word of God in here. It sits on their bookshelf all week long. Do you know a survey done by George Barna a few years ago, 75% of those who claim to be committed Christians that go to church regularly never open the Bible from Sunday to Sunday. The only Bible they get is what they hear the preacher read on Sunday morning. And now, way too many of the preachers, they give one little verse and then go off and talk about all kinds of things, and they just give one little verse. That's why here at Living Faith Church, we give you the Word of God because it is the Word of God that will make you free. It's the Word of God that is the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. You want to look to Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, and you got to hear His Word. Come on, amen? Because He said, if you abide in my Word, then you are my disciples indeed. Where are you hanging out? With Oprah Winfrey? With the talking heads on the radio? <clears throat> on Facebook? Twitter? TikTok? Where are you hanging out? Come on, I'm serious. Where are you spending your time? You need to be spending more time in the Word and getting the Word of God in here. That's why the psalmist wrote, he said, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed unto thy word. Listen to this. He said, Oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation day and night. Thy commandments make me wiser than my enemies. You can't figure out how come the enemy keeps beating you up and keeps tripping you up. And the reason why is because of exactly what the apostle said 
that we started with earlier. He's bringing stuff against you that's distracting you. It's slowing you down. It's getting you completely stop walking with Jesus. It's tangling your feet. You're falling off the track. It's time for you to get all that stuff off. Get back up on the track. Get your eyes on Jesus and start getting the Word of God in here because the Word of God will help you run the race victoriously. Come on, give him praise. Here's the second thing. You got to use it like a sword. Jesus did. When the enemy came against him, the enemy fought him in the flesh, he fought him in the soul, and he fought him in the spirit. Exactly what he said in 1 John chapter 2. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not of the Father, but are of the world. And the enemy came, tempted him in his flesh, tempted him with his greed, and he tempted him with his selfish pride and ambition. And every time Jesus took the sword of the Spirit and went, wow. And you do too. See, this is how you do it. Every man's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So a thought comes. A thought comes. Ever been down really praying and suddenly you get this really weird thought or maybe even a sinful thought and you just go, how in the world did that? I'm praying. (laughs) But the enemy sent that, that arrow. What do you do with it? You raise the shield of faith and you take the sword of the spirit and you whack. How? How? Here's how. If you're putting the word of God in here, then when that thought comes, you catch that thought and you go, God, that thought right there, that's not mine. That's the devil. Because in the name of Jesus, you said, and then you quote the word of God at it. And then you just get right back to prayer. (laughs) And then you just get right back to what you're doing. You replace those thoughts with the Word of God. But if you don't have the Word of God in here, all you got, what do you have? A (laughs) Q-tip. That's what you got. And the devil's sitting there laughing. I got you. I got you. Because you haven't put the word of God in here. You got to put the word of God in your heart. You got to put the word. And it's not just, well, I read it, brother. I have a little devotional and I read a sentence or two from the Bible and then I read my devotional. And yeah, that gives you a Q tip. (laughs) You got to have a sword, baby. You got to have a sword. And the way you get a sword is you don't just read a little bit, you study it. You study it, and you put it in here, and you put it in here, because then when those thoughts come, you can stop those thoughts, and you can replace them. So many Christians go, oh, God, don't let me think that. God, don't let me think that. God, don't. And God's going, I already gave you the weapon. I can't do that for you, child. You've got to take up the sword of the Spirit. I commanded you in the Scripture, take up the sword of the Spirit. I can't do that for you. You've got to take up 
the sword of the Spirit. And that's why we've got to study the Word, put the Word in there, so when the enemy comes, we've got something to fight him with. Come on, say amen. amen. Now here's the third thing. You've got to pray the Word. John said, this is the confidence that we have in him. Big H. This is the confidence we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we know we have the petitions which we desire of him. So how do you make sure you're praying the will of God? You pray the word. Daniel prayed the word. The apostle Paul prayed the word. We got to pray the word. Pray the word. Well, God, if it's your will. What do you mean, if? Come on, find out. Is it God's will? Then you pray with great confidence. God, you said, you said, God, you said that you would bring my children from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and they would come back to you. God, I say now in the name of Jesus, I'm reminding you of your word. My kids will not go to hell. My kids will not go astray. My kids will come back to Jesus. Your word, your word, God, your word says, by the stripes that Jesus carried on his back, I am healed in Jesus' name. I am claiming that I'm healed. See, you make declarations and you make petitions and you remind God of his word. I can't tell you how many times, I, God, I remind you, you said your eyes are ever going to and fro across the earth looking for the righteous ones to whom you will show yourself mighty. Jesus, you have made me righteous. I am the righteousness of God in you, Jesus. You have made me righteous. And now, almighty God, I am saying in the name of Jesus, act on my behalf, step in, and you intervene in the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you time and time and time, almighty God has heard and answered our prayer. Hallelujah. And he will for you. We are so blessed that you join us online today. For more resources on how you can grow your relationship with Jesus Christ, visit us online at www.winacity.com. If you would like to speak with someone about your relationship with Jesus Christ or would like prayer, you can contact us at 541-567-4486 or email us at info at